We are continuing in our sermon series, our Lenten sermon series, entitled We Interrupt This Program, to wonder about the interruptions of life and to consider perhaps those interruptions being a means by which we are addressed by God and perhaps given the chance to re-examine our lives and to wonder about how God might be leading us into the future. So to that end, we are looking today at the 21st chapter of John, uh, beginning at the 15th verse and taking up the uh, theme of the interruption inside. And we find ourselves in this conversation that Jesus has with the disciple Peter. And this takes place after the resurrection and follows what was a rather tragic event in the life of Peter that takes place before the crucifixion. So with that in mind, let us hear this conversation between the resurrected Jesus and Simon Peter. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. For very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, for we pray this in his name. Amen. It has been almost 40 years since news came out from the suburbs of Chicago that people who had recently taken the pain reliever Tylenol had gotten sick and subsequently died from their ingestion of the capsules. Fear and panic began to crow as to what was the cause. No one knew how many bottles, how many batches of the medication were defective. Senior executives at Johnson & Johnson, the manufacturer of the medicine, faced a daunting decision. Tylenol was the drug that contributed the lion's share of their bottom line. And so to anyway suggest that in any way there might be some defect and that they were possibly at fault in the poisoning of these people, it would inalterably change the future future of the company perhaps ruin it completely. But rather than deny, delay, and risk the lives of other human beings, the company took the extraordinary measure of acknowledging the possibility of its own culpability and ordered all bottles of Tylenol to be removed from all shelves in all stores in all countries while investigators investigated. The company's 35% share in the pain reliever market plummeted to 
Later, it was determined that J&J &J was not responsible and that the capsules had been injected with cyanide by a sick mine who to this day has not been identified. And to this day, the J&J &J response to the crisis serves as a textbook case of what soul-searching a company should do when things go wrong, to always leave room for the possibility that the problem might be you. Within a year, Johnson & Johnson had captured back their share of the market due in large part to the trust they had engendered by their response. It's never a bad thing to consider that maybe you are a part of the problem. Sometimes the interruption to the best laid plans, the best laid future, is you. Or as our friend Pogo would say, we have met the enemy and he is us. There's probably no better a textbook to consider in exploring all this than the Bible itself. Replete are the examples of Israel's people, Israel's leaders, who failed to consider that the unfolding purposes of God's grace and mercy were being interrupted by none other than themselves. Israel's Hall of Fame, almost to a person, contains stories of people becoming their own worst enemy. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Saul, David, Jonah, you name it. Usually there came a time when each had failed to search their own souls to consider that maybe they were the biggest hurdle to progress themselves. That the interruption to the plan was coming from the inside. So the conversation we just read between Jesus and the disciple Peter takes place after a shattering event in which Peter learns how little he understood himself. You might remember the ominous moment when at the table of Passover, Jesus announces that he would, there was a betrayer in their midst. And it prompts Peter to puff out his chest and to exclaim that, oh no, he was true blue, a good a friend as he could find, a good as gold, that if the chips were down, he'd be the last man standing. Never, never would it get too hot in the kitchen for him. Jesus sort of rolls his eyes and says in so many words, Oh, Peter, 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 you know so little about yourself. And I'm guessing that by the time the evening's over and the cock has crowed, you will deny me. Maybe not even once, maybe twice, maybe even three times. And Peter, with chest still puffed, says, never going to happen. Never say never, they say. Because sure enough, the heat does get turned up around the fire in the high priest's courtyard and the prosecution starts its cross-examination. Aren't you one of those followers of Jesus? Didn't I see you with him? Weren't you one of his friends? And Peter folds like a cheap suit. And before he knows it, his insides are now on the outside for everybody to see. And the puddle of his tears reflects a man who is seeing what he's never wanted to see, that of all people, he has been the interruption. Of all people, he was the most vulnerable. Sometimes we can be our own worst enemy. And yet, maybe that is one of the great discoveries of life. 
with the Socrates who said that the unexamined life is not worth living, which is to say that there is so much more to you and me than what meets the eye, especially if it's our own eyes, that we all want to walk around with this image of ourselves that just isn't true to the specifications. We're likely not as bad as we think we are, but we're not as likely as good as we think we are either. And that the trouble we can get ourselves into is to the speaking and acting based on a false sense of assumptions. That's why I love when I'm in a group of people and we're talking about some sports team lamenting over some bonehead play a player made or some bonehead move by a manager. And then someone, usually me, invariably says, man, I could have made that play. Man, I could have called a better play. And everybody kind of politely nods in assent when actually nothing could be further from the truth. And it just takes me back to remember being a captain of my high school basketball team and getting a rebound in the middle of the game and looking up and seeing that I had a perfect uncontested shot at the basket. So one dribble later, I took my perfectly formed jump shot, and as the ball left my hand, I said to myself, you know what, Steve, I don't think that's our basket. It took 25 minutes for that basketball to travel from my hand to that basket. My only saving grace is that, like most of my shots, it did not go in. <laughs> of the hundreds and hundreds of people in that gymnasium that night, the only one who did not know that that was the wrong basket was the guy with the ball in his hands. <laughs> and it only takes that to remember and to suggest to me that maybe I don't always have the best perspective. Like the baseball umpire who, after being berated by a fan over and over again for making bad calls at home plate, climbed over the stadium wall, walked up to the stands 25 rows up, took his seat right next to the berating fan. Well, what are you doing? Asked the fan. Well, I decided to come up here to make the call since you obviously have a much better view. So Jesus peers into Peter's soul, and he sees something that Peter can't see. He sees a human being. He sees a fragile human being who does not have the best view. And he says to Peter, welcome to the human race. Because the greatest and often most painful discovery is the discovery of your own vulnerability. That maybe you don't know as much as you think you know. That maybe you don't have the courage that you think you have. That maybe your compassion is not at the level you like to think it is. And that sometimes in life the biggest interruption is on the inside. And that's okay. Jesus says, because the one who peers into our souls before the temperature gets turned up is the same one who sits beside us after the cheap suit folds and says, okay, how about another chance? The same one who pulls Peter aside and says, well, that didn't work out very well. How about we try again? And for each of Peter's denials, Jesus asks, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? 
because we are works in progress, right? And the moment we think we have ourselves figured out is the moment when we cease being works in progress. And when we cease being works in progress is when people, in attempting to describe us, use words like crotchety and set in his ways. Scott Peck, in his multi-million bestseller, The Road Less Traveled, posited that, quote, the central defect of evil is not the sin itself, but the failure to acknowledge the sin. So Jesus stands on the beach after all the damage has been done by his disciples of betrayal and denial and desertion, and he pulls those disciples up to the table of bread and fish and says, Welcome, you works in progress. Let's not dwell on the past. Let's focus on the future. Because the future is about discovery, and the greatest discovery is about yourself. Maybe you're not as bad as you think you are, and maybe you're not as good as you think you are, and that's okay. It's a start. It makes me think of that line in the Lord's Prayer that always catches in my throat, the line that Jesus tells us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I say to myself, what do you mean, Jesus? Your forgiving and my forgiving are linked. You forgive as I forgive. That sounds like conditional grace. That sounds like you're holding back. It sounds like quid pro quo. And Jesus rolls his eyes and says, Oh, Steve, 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 you don't see yourself. Can't you see the interruption that's going on inside of you? Can't you see that the grace for you is the grace that's being thwarted by you? That the free-flowing grace intended to flow through you has been damned by you? That the levees are locked inside of you? And until that grace can pour out of you, it cannot pour into you fully. As I forgive, you forgive. And now that we've seen that interruption, how about we try again? What better words could we ever hope to hear from the Son of God? How about we try again? G.K. Chesterton, the great philosopher and apologist of a century ago, picked up a London newspaper and saw the invitation to its readers to respond to the, with their answers to the question, what is wrong with the world? And so Chesterton took up the challenge, wrote down his answer, and sent it into the paper. What is wrong with the world? And his response, I am. Good start, I suppose, for we works in progress.